Today on Ag News Daily. The newer chemistry that's out in the fungicides today, this carboxamide SDHI class of chemistry, has really raised the bar on the potential of what these products can deliver in terms of preservation of yield. Listeners, welcome. July 26, 2023, Ag News Daily Edition. Tanner and Delaney hanging out for one more day, right, Delaney? One more day, Tanner, then I'm off to Europe. Well, that should be fun. I think you should uh, pop in one of those days just to give us a European update, but uh, not going to ask you to do that. Okay. I'd be happy to. I'll send you some thoughts. <laughs> Maybe some updates. Send you all the pictures of all the good gelato I'm hoping to consume. I wonder what the weather's like over there. Hopefully it'll be nice for your time, but the heat wave that's been gripping the Midwest is now headed northeast and south to end the work week. Looking to shatter records in the southwest for much of this month, the persistent excessive heat has been camped out over the southern tier, the desert southwest of Florida for much of this month. It's been the hottest start to July on record in Phoenix, Baton Rouge, and Miami. Now the heat is engulfing up here in the Midwest, highs surging towards 100. Obviously, we've got uh, ragbri going on right now, but we could see it continue to push northeast. That would be potentially dangerous because ports of the northeast are saturated at this time after floods and stagnant water warnings have been issued to where the heat would create a very strong breeding ground uh, for some of the conditions there. This U.S. Corn Belt is faced with the heat advisories that are going to affect yield. We've got heat advisories today from northern South Dakota all the way into central Texas, from northern Kansas east into central Ohio. So almost the entire Corn Belt is covered there. Central Iowa, during RAGBRAI, we're looking, Delaney, today 105 for heat index, and parts of our friends in Illinois could see 108 degree heat index as well. So not safe conditions. No, and Tanner, in regard to your comment about what's going on in Europe, actually, there's a lot of wildfires in quite a few different countries in Europe. They're having excessive heat as well, record high temperatures in the uh, portion of Sicily, Italy, which we'll not be going to, which is good and lucky, uh, but they're having wildfires that have actually shut down and made folks evacuate. So the airlines there have all shut down or have over the past couple of weeks sporadically shut down here and there. Uh, and they've also been working to evacuate tourists because the wildfires on the island of Sicily are so bad. But Greece is also seeing quite a few different wildfires throughout the country, mostly in the uh, southwestern region. But nonetheless, Tanner, uh, folks everywhere are having excessive and record high heat temperatures. Yeah, it's certainly going to take a toll on the entire planet as far as that goes. We also saw uh, meat supplies decline for red meat. Chicken supplies are higher. Red meat supplies and cold storage were down month to month, year over year, when you look at the end of June. But poultry supplies are up. Frozen red meat inventories totaled 927.8 million pounds, down 14% on an annual basis and down 6% from the end of May. Beef supplies dropped 20% year over year, 411.9 million pounds. That's 20% down from the same point in 2022, but only 3% down month over month. Pork supplies fell 490.2 million pounds, down 9%. 
frozen poultry where the supplies are up are up 10% from the year over and 5% from the end of May. Chicken stockpiles were up 11% year over year and 3% monthly while turkey supplies rose 6 or up 9 from the end of May. Well, Tanner, we saw the Senate easily cleared an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act on Tuesday, barring an investor's from China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea from purchasing any sort of U.S. farmland. The measure, approved with a 91-7 to majority vote, also necessitates a review from the Committee on Foreign Investments in the U.S. on overseas land purchases exceeding $5 million or 320 acres from investors from any other country. The vote uh, was definitely strongly bipartisan. And only seven senators, six Democrats, and one Republican opposed it. But there are joint measures going on in the in the uh, House of Representatives. So we hope that it's an easy sail through for that one as well. Absolutely. We got more report more reports that came out yesterday. Trucking costs hit an all-time high in 2022. The American Transportation Research Institute showed total marginal trucking costs at $2.25 per mile. That was 21% higher than 2021. In 2021, it was $1.86 per mile. These costs were the highest in the southeastern region at $2.30, lowest in the west at $2.16. Fuel costs, which made up 28% of the total calculation, and then driver's wages, which were 32% of the total calculation, were the two levels that had increased the most. Diesel fuel prices have come down roughly $2 a gallon since the 2022 peak. But anybody who is looking at the results here from the USDA's weekly series of grand transport cost indicators show that diesel is still 255 255% above baseline values, Delaney. So we're still seeing high diesel trucking costs being stickier, especially after wages were the second highest increase for the trucking costs as well, to where it's going to be more and more difficult to find reasonable ways to export grain as long as it has to be put under wheels until it gets to the water. You know, and of course, with increased costs, like you were mentioning there from the from the uh, average trucker cost, a lot of that obviously is due to inflation. And we should see the Federal Reserve release from their meeting notes today or maybe early tomorrow, the announcement of another interest rate hike. But Tanner, folks are now thinking ahead to the next hike and We know that a lot of folks are expecting this one to be the last one in 2023, but now we're seeing some odds placed on another rate hike later in the year, and those odds are starting to quickly gain traction. So I'll be curious to see what you hear and see when you're at the Federal Reserve later this week. Yeah, it's uh, probably not going to be as much news once I get out there, but uh, a lot of the whispers in the industry are now pointing towards a potential late year additional hike, probably one now, a pause, and then another to follow. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. We're also seeing grasshopper numbers increase. Drought and heat are leading to challenges for farmers and ranchers. When you look at the drought map and the map in which grasshopper numbers have increased, it's pretty much an overlay. In late July, 
people in parts of Canada and the United States were sharing on social media the damages from grasshoppers, so it triggered an investigation. Crop progress reports have recently been increasingly mentioning grasshoppers as well on both sides of the north and southern borders of North Dakota. Crop scouts are headed for the 2023 spring wheat and Durham tour, where we expect to see more grasshopper reports themselves. Crop damages mostly due to dry conditions, which provide limited uh, habitat for other bugs, but grasshoppers tend to like the drier conditions and, and hotter conditions to where they can pick up and move from field to field with avoiding those that are spraying their cereal crops. So economic problems could be had in the rangeland as far as eight to 40 grasshoppers per square yard. The thresholds are influenced by several factors, obviously, but when you look at where cattle producers are dealing with hot and dry pasture conditions, grasshoppers could take some of the remaining forage at an alarming rate. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that problem in these tours that are coming up next week. Well, Tanner, speaking of tours, we've got the wheat tour, spring wheat and Durham tour going on in North Dakota right now. And after day one, yields were pretty varied. Yet when the results were tallied together and averaged out, over 130 spring wheat fields checked on Tuesday, July 25th. The weighted average yield was estimated at 48.1 bushels per acre. That's just shy of last year's day one, which was recorded at 848.9. Nearly 60 participants in 14 different vehicles left Fargo and spread out across the southeast and south-central North Dakota to assess spring wheat crop. And like I said, their, their yield came in at a 48.1. And a few anecdotal pieces of information they shared with DTN this morning was that a seemingly endless winter brought heavy snowfall to much of North Dakota, as much as 100 inches in some locations. The snow was slow to melt, which delayed planting for many growers. And that followed by a jump in summertime temperatures, as we well know, as well as above average with, or excuse me, as well as little precipitation. So all in all, that's uh, definitely impacting yields that they're seeing in the field. And they're going to be continuing their tour the rest of this week, Tanner. But uh, it sounds like, like I said, a large variance in yields. I saw one field as low as 19 bushels per acre and one field as high as 117 and a half bushels per acre. So pretty variable across the area that they surveyed yesterday. Yeah, that is. There's a lot of variance there. There's also a lot of variance in the reports coming out of Russia and Ukraine. Russian military bloggers are saying that Ukraine has launched a major offensive in the Zaporizhia region. They are looking at Ukraine making moderate advances in those areas, but Ukraine is yet to comment on their offensive. Russia forces south of Bakhmut have taken heavy losses and appear to be falling back as well. That's coming from official Ukrainian accounts. The UK government has been heavily criticized for underestimating the Wagner Group in its parliament, parliamentary committee report. These calls for private military companies to protect terrorist organizations or protect the country from terrorist organizations. We also see accounts from Russia on a rocket attack that went into a camp holding Ukrainian prisoners of war, but they are not supported by any evidence. So it seems like most of the reports that are coming out overnight is uh, contradictory to say the least. The Ukrainian forces have looked like they have wedged themselves into Russia's first line of defense 
with heavy and fierce fighting still going on, large offensives and drone attacks are leading to attacks beyond the front line as far as that goes. We'll see where this wedge sends the Ukrainian troops in the upcoming days. But that gives you the headlines I've got to report on today. And I think the last thing I was going to touch on here, and we talked a little bit about this with Tommy Grzafi on Monday during our Market Monday segment, but retail fertilizer prices continue to drop. Now urea down to some record low prices as it's dropped below $600 per ton for the first time since September of 2021. All retail fertilizer prices were lower again in the third week of July 2023, according to sellers surveyed by DTN. This is the second straight week prices for all eight major fertilizers were down, Tanner. So might be a good opportunity to have Josh Linville from StoneX on again to chat about where fertilizer prices head from here. Absolutely. But I'm curious where grain prices are heading from here. Uh, they're certainly heading a little lower here this morning, as we've definitely chewed through the news of the Russia-Ukraine situation, at least in the short term. September corn down seven and a half cents in the overnight will open at 550. Dees new crop corn also down about seven and a half cents in the overnight to open at 557 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the August contract up just slightly on the board at 15, 16 and a quarter, up three quarters of a cent. New crop beans, however, down four cents at 14, 15 and three quarters. Hard red September winter wheat today down 21 and a half cents in the overnight to open at 8.91 and a quarter. And spring wheat, since we've got the spring wheat tour going on in the September contract, down 12 and a quarter cent at 9.19 and three quarters. In the livestock pits, the August live cattle contract down 45 cents at a buck 78.30. August feeder cattle down two pennies at 243.22. And August lean hogs up $1.55 at 101.65. Tanner, we are chatting today with Tyler Harp. Well, rather you are to talk about a new fungicide program and talk about fungicide application in general. It's timely for this uh, period of where we're at in the growing season. And listeners, what a timely interview we've got coming up here today for you. Tyler Harp, Technical Product Lead for Row Crop Fungicides, here to bring in some really timely information as some of you are looking to make a decision very soon as to if it pays to play. Welcome to the podcast, Tyler. Thank you. It's about my pleasure to be here. So as we sit this morning, give our listeners a little bit of background. Where are you at and what's your tie to agriculture? Well, I work for Syngenta Crop Protection, and I'm based in the product marketing team, which is uh, headquartered in Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, I've been with the company for about 25 years, and um, most of that time um, in uh, working on fungicides. So uh, excited to be here and talk a little bit to uh, your listeners today about fungicides, and especially as it pertains to row crops, corn and soybeans. Yeah, and it's been a very interesting growing year for corn and soybeans. We've got uh, our podcast reports on headlines every day of the week, and it's interesting from how soybeans are doing with the wildfire haze, how corn is doing with the extreme heat in some areas, and maybe some dry portions of other parts of the country. So I'm sure as your team approaches fungicide this year, it's not a blanket one-size-fits-all answer, right? 
No, that's right. And, you know, you, you pointed out a, a, a situation that occurs usually every year to some extent, whether it's stress from the environment or, or stress from uh, things like that. You, you mentioned the smoke. And of course, that's pre pre preventing some of the sunlight to actually get into the canopy. We know that, you know, at any given time of the year, there's a lot of stress that goes on in these crops. And, you know, the fungicide products that we sell today, these are not your your father's or your grandfather's fungicides. I mean, I, I, I want to make a point that the chemistry that's involved in these new fungicides, we call them plant health fungicides, is really important to understand that this is something that is delivering um, preservation of yield potential in the presence of both biotic or abiotic stress. So biotic stress means your fungal diseases that are out there that everybody's familiar with that usually occur more dramatically when the weather is wet but it also preserves yield in the presence of abiotic stress, which is some of the stresses you've already mentioned around the haze, not getting enough sunlight, around heat or drought, all of those things we've shown and our data has clearly shown that these products have the potential to preserve yield potential in the presence of both of these types of stress. And, and our data shows, you know, we, we do these trials every year. We don't just try to make it a situational decision of should we apply or shouldn't we apply when we're demoing our products we test every year these products. So we've got them tested during wet years, during dry years. And again, what we've seen is that over 80% of the time, these applications provide a profitable return on your investment due to the ability of these products to better preserve yield potential in the presence of biotic or abiotic stress compared to the earlier generation fungicides that are out there. So that it's pretty clear then that not all fungicides are created equal. No, that's right. And the, the, the newer chemistry that's out in the fungicides today, this carboxamide SDHI class of chemistry has really raised the bar on the potential of what these products can deliver in terms of preservation of yield. And they're, they're essentially very potent fungicides, but they're also very potent plant health fungicides. In other words, they have this ability, again, to preserve yield in the presence of drought and other types of conditions that can eat at your yield. And so this, this chemistry is not only advanced chemistry, but it's also, it's very persistent chemistry. It's longer lasting. So therefore you have a longer window of opportunity to preserve yield in the presence of these abiotic or biotic stress, stresses that you uh, often see in the field. Well, let's start with our listeners that are in a drought area. What can applying fungicide do to help their plants if they are experiencing drought? So there's really three things that we've linked to the ability of these fungicides to provide what we call a plant health benefit. And one of those is uh, the essentially the light efficiency in the leaf. We know that when these fungicides are applied, we often visually see a greener plant, a greener crop in the field. Sometimes there'll be a, a, a strip that will be left untreated and then it's really dramatic. I mean, as soon as five to 10 days after the fungicide's applied, you can see a greener leaves. And we've done research to show that those greener leaves actually have more photochemistry, which is essentially just a term to describe the light energy that a leaf absorbs from the sun and stores in its leaves to use to make energy. They have more photochemistry in these leaves. So it's like a preservation of the photosynthetic capacity of these plants delivered by these fungicides. The second one is water conservation. These respiration inhibitor fungicides have the ability to slightly reduce the transpiration rate of the leaf, yet have no impact on the ability of, of these plants to produce energy. 
And by reducing slightly the transpiration rate of a leaf, you've minimized the water vapor loss that can occur through the stomata. Of course, the stomata are just the pores, mostly on the underside of the leaf where gas and water vapor can be exchanged. So by managing that, you're minimizing the water vapor loss, allowing these plants to have better conservation of water. And this is another visual observation that we often see after the application of one of these plant health fungicides, that these plants look like there's less leaf curl, they look like they have less drought stress, and we've even proven that there's actually more water in these leaves and in these plants. And then the third thing is around the stalk quality. When corn plant, for example, corn hybrid goes under a lot of stress, whether it be drought or whether it be from disease, the leaves will pull starches and carbohydrates out of the stalk, compromising the integrity of the stalk, and then it makes lodging more prevalent in the field. It makes the grower have to go slower as he goes that drives the combine through the field and you lose a lot of efficiency on the harvest side. So those three benefits, the light energy, the water conservation, and the, and the harvest efficiency are really the three key benefits that these fungicides bring above and beyond disease control. Yeah, that's interesting to see how much effect it can have on a crop that maybe some are losing hope in. But then we've also got listeners that are unfortunately in the path of some storms that have came that either brought hail or brought a derecho. What can fungicide do for damaged crops? Yeah, we've, we've seen that as well, where crops tend to be a little bit more sturdy because they're healthier, because they have you know, a, a more efficient use of light energy and efficient use of water that when these natural disasters like hail and windstorms come through, they typically survive and hold up better and they're able to rebound a little bit better. Yeah, and that, that's one of those things that can add hope. Obviously, we don't, we don't wish any of our listeners a poor crop year. We want to be able to provide resources for them to get in and have and maximize their yield potential. But on a year-in, year-out basis, what's your data been telling you about the application of fungicides? So in corn, our fungicides, we, we've showed year after year across dry seasons like 2020, across really wet seasons like 2021, you know, the preservation of yield, there's really no better tool in the market today for preservation of yield potential than a plant health fungicide. And we're showing average returns of 15 to 18 bushels per acre for corn and about six to eight bushels per acre for soybean over that of the untreated. So that's quite profitable. And also what we, what we see is that in many cases, there's about a third of, the, of those that are 20 bushels or more, kind of like a hit it out of the park. You know, we just, we know that there's always going to be stress, biotic and abiotic stress in the field. Our data would suggest that about 80% of the time, you're going to have stress that is yield limiting in your field that these products can protect and preserve your yield in the presence of. So really, again, there's no better tool out there. You think about the fact that at this point in the season, a grower has invested 90, maybe 95% of their investment in the crop. By the time this corn plant gets to late vegetative, you know, they've made this investment. Why wouldn't you, you know, I, I often get asked, well, can I, can I afford to make a fungicide application? I often say, well, can you afford not to make one? Right. Because, and this is about preservation of yield potential. And our data shows across seasons, across years, across farms, that 80% of the time it's going to be a profitable application. That means one, that means four out of five times. Now, if you think about a, a farmer, most growers do not grow corn one year. They grow it year after year after year. So if you think about the fact of, of, of 
basically 80% of the time having a profitable application on a three to five year period of time, it's 100% profitable, right? The odds of having 80% each year is, is, is so much in your favor that we, we really, we wonder why folks wouldn't want to apply these plant health fungicides because again, we, our data clearly shows profitable applications year after year and on, on the life of your farm, it's extremely profitable once you start adding up all those years. If it's, if it's made as a situational decision and an ability to try to time the market, you almost always leave value on the, on the table. If it's, if it's actually conducted as sound agronomic practice and these products have the potential to contribute significantly in agronomic practice, then that's the way you're gonna get the most value out of these products and out of these innovations. I like the way that you've said that. So you probably have the data. What percentage of growers do apply fungicide currently? Well, right now, in the, in the if you look at the 90 million acres of corn in the U.S., a little over 40% uh, is treated with a fungicide. Now, you may think, well, that's less than half. That's true. But only only 15 years ago, it was about a million acres. So it, it's it's gone up about 4,000% in the last 15 to 20 years. And you know, that's a testament to the value that these products actually provide when growers are willing to experience them and use them and get a good result from them. They like the way they perform, they like how it makes their crop look, and they certainly like the extra yield that it helps them preserve. So it's, it's one of those things where you know, every year we generate more and more data. We actually launched uh, the plant health fungicides, the more modern plant health fungicides that we have today, these premium fungicides. We launched Trivapro. In 2015, we launched Paribus Neo in 2018. And of course, every year since then, we've been doing uh, tests uh, on the same farm, across different farms, uh, again, dry years and wet years. And, you know, the, the data is clear that, you know, where, where we used to probably have a 60% chance of preserving some yield in the presence of disease, mostly in disease, now it's 80% across all of the types of stress that you might have in your field that is limiting your yield. So it's, it's pretty powerful data and, and we're pretty excited about the results that we're seeing. Yeah, and the uh, article that was sent to me on Syngenta's website that kind of goes through what products you have available has some really neat video resources. It also has the Marivis revenue calculator that our listeners could dive into. So we'll see if we can get that linked, that article linked into our show notes. But before we wrap up today, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I just appreciate the opportunity to be here today. I, I was actually in Iowa. I'm part of the Corn Belt a few weeks ago. I think the, you know, even though there's some stress out there and there's some pockets of drought, I think the crop looks very good and there's a lot of yield potential out there in the field. And so hopefully folks will understand that there's really good, important tools out there that they can use to help preserve that yield in the presence of biotic and abiotic stress and that they'll get the value out of these products, these Syngenta plant health fungicides. No, I really appreciate that, listeners. The website that I'm looking at is syngenta-us.com. And we'll, like I said, get that put in the show notes for you. But uh, really appreciate, Tyler, hanging out, you hanging out with us today on the podcast. And we look forward to another conversation soon. Now, thank you very much. It's my pleasure.
Well, that was a very timely conversation. Thanks uh, for him joining us and letting us know the importance, at least value-wise, to our grower listeners. But uh, Delaney, I hope you have a safe trip. Listeners, I hope you stick with us over the next two weeks. We'll continue to bring you great conversations and good headlines. But Delaney, for today, what do you say? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 